when I walked into this room this morning before all of you got here, I overheard a conversation between two of the gentlemen who work in our booths and our uh, in our booth, and they were discussing how their wives um, show love. And my wife is a gift giver, is what one of them said. And that, that was the conversation, which made me think, in a room like this, I'm assuming there are various ways that we show love. How do you show love? Maybe you are a person who gives gifts, or you write letters, or you bake goods. Maybe you've thought through, at this season, the way that you show love to your neighbor. Think about the weird ways that we happen to show that. Think through it like this. This is how you have loved your neighbor. You offered them a fruitcake. Maybe we're the people who've moved beyond fruitcakes. I would like for us to be those people because fruitcakes are horrible. I like fruit better than fruitcakes. I don't even like fruit that much. Or this is how you loved your aunt in 2006 at Christmas. This is just an example, hypothetical situation. You gave her slippers that you won in the sweepstakes. My grandmother was a unique lady. She raised me. She would never let us buy her stuff. She, that's kind of what she did. She would tell us every Christmas, don't buy me anything. And when she would let us know that we should not buy her anything, the reason that she did not want us to get her anything was not because she did not want stuff. She would say this, as she got older and older, she would say, they're just going to destroy it. Who destroys old lady stuff? That's the question I kept asking. And she would also, don't get me anything. I may not be here next year. She told me that for seven years. I just kept buying stuff. When I'm gone, they're going to destroy it. We would buy her socks. I bought her a popcorn popper one year. That was a hit. Um, when you think through those gifts, fruitcakes and slippers that you win and socks, there doesn't seem to be anything overwhelmingly immense about any of it. Even this year, maybe you were buying for your kids or shopping for your kids or Amazoning for your kids and buying that Timu stuff, which is just fake jewelry. And as you're buying these things, buy fake jewelry. It's okay. It doesn't turn green like it used to. As you were buying these things for your children, you thought, I don't really even know what they want. I don't know what they need because they don't need anything. We can give the worst gifts to the best people. Have you ever felt that? We give the worst gifts to the very best people in the world. The unique thing about what we see in Scripture today is that God gave the best gift to the worst people. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open that to John 3, uh, verse 16. That's where we're going to spend all of our time today. John 3, 16. You may not think that that's a Christmas verse for you, but it, it, it totally is. I love having these kids in the room, and eventually some of them will begin to move toward me. I will feel very much like Jesus. Just let the children come. When we think about the way that we show love, we can look into Scripture and see this is how God showed love to us. Well, maybe you know it in this way, for God so loved the world. We all know, we all can quote this passage. Most of us quote it in King James English, King Jimmy English, as I like to point out. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or maybe your translation says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One uh, paraphrase says, For God loved the world in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal 
life. This is the so. So often we think of the word so as this poetic attempt at communicating as figurative language. But it actually has a function in this passage that I don't want us to miss. The word so is telling us this is the way that God happened to love. It shows us two things. It shows the action of God's love and the amount of God's love. Peterson says it this way. Uh, He says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his only son. His one, he gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. This is how God loved the world. This love is not just sentimental, it's, it's active. God sent his son. The word, the, the idea of the son of God is so interesting when we look at it in all of what scripture says because it's pointing out to us this Jesus, the only begotten son. It can be understood in different ways. We don't quite have something, a word that conveys begotten, but we can take an attempt at getting there. His unique son, his one of a kind son, his only son that's like this. So we're in spaces like this and we've grown up in the South and we've been in the South immersed in it enough that many of us may even have an idea of we are people who are all children of God. And we've even heard that. And I understand what's being said there because all of us were created by God. Not a person in this world who lives and breathes was not created by God. But there's something that is a unique nature as to who God is when we become his children because the problem with us thinking that all of us are the children of God is actually the Bible. Because the Bible points out to us that those of us who are in right relationship with God through the person of Jesus, those are who the children of God are. This is how God loved the world. This is the way. This is the active step of God to show what love looks like. And the way that he shows this is that he gave. This is how God loved the world. He gave. The word world in this passage is a a bit of a... If you're unfamiliar with the text... Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus who has come to him to ask some questions. And Nicodemus was a leader of the nation of Israel. And Jesus has just undone everything that Nicodemus understood about the nature and character of God. Because he has pointed out that God loves the world. Not just the nation of Israel, but God loves the world. That's why we, as New Testament Christians who live in the southeast of of Texas... Gather together. Most of us don't have Jewish heritage. And we're not just the people of Israel. We're the people of God. And for those of us who are believers, we are people who are in right relationship with God. That's why we did not eat goats in a blanket this morning. We had pigs in a blanket. The Lord has opened the door for us to be immersed in something so altogether spectacular. God points out that he he loved the world in this way that he would give his son. What a gift. What does the gift of God look like in this past? What he gave his son in the most sacrificial of ways. The sacrificial love of God. So what does that tell us about how God loves each and every one of us? That he would make it possible for those of us who are not believers to become believers. For those of us who are outside of relationship with him to enter into relationship with him. What is the way that God happens to do that? He gave his son, but didn't just give him. He gave him sacrificially. 
We see the sacrificial love of God in this passage because the love of God that we see in the text is selfless. God's love is costly. And God's love is worthy of our praise, which is really in contradiction to everything that we are apart from God because we are selfish. We don't see the value of the cross. We actually take it for granted and don't praise him. God did this work of giving sacrificially so that we could have. That's actually what the text says in verse 16. It says, God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have, will have eternal life. God gave so you could have. In coming as an infant, God shows us that he gave his life so that we could have life. There's nothing that demonstrates life that makes a human being think about life more than a baby. It's the closest thing to innocence that we have. Now, parents, we know they're not innocent creatures. They are manipulating from day one, moment one, instant one. But it's the closest thing to innocence that we see when you look into the scriptures and you see that God gave so we could have, he shows that he demonstrated for us who he is in this baby so that we could know that life is eternal and everlasting. Spurgeon goes as far as to say this. If you're unfamiliar, people think he's the greatest preacher of all time. Outside of Jesus, God has come, the infinite, the almighty, has stooped from the highest heaven so that he may pick you up a poor, undone, and worthless worm. Now this can be a hurdle when we begin to think about our worthlessness. There may be, you may even have lived a life in such a way where you would look at your own life and say, I'm not worthy of God's life. Of course you're not worthy of God's love. The Greek word for that is duh. But what we don't need to do is emphasize our sinful state to the point that we ignore our original state. You and I, every person in this space was made in the image of God. Because of what sin is, it has broken our relationship with God, distorted in such a way that for us to be made right with Him, God has to give to restore. This is how much God loved the world that his son became like us. God took on human flesh, wrapped in human flesh. In Jesus, the God who made the heavens and the earth and is not in temples built by human hands was limited by human experience in Jesus, God could feel physical pain. Christmas reminds us that there are three degrees of pain. There's minor pain, there's major pain, and there's step on a Lego pain. In Jesus, God dealt with real pain. In Jesus, God dealt with the pain of death and sin. In, in our sin, not his. In Jesus, God was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. 
In Jesus, God felt pain. Not only did he feel pain, in Jesus, God died. This is how we know that God loves us. He gave his son so that you could have his life. This is how it makes a difference for us. God has invited us through the person of Jesus to see and know and trust and believe. Believe is doing more work here than most of us give it credit for. Most of us think about the word believe and we tell our children we believe them within the back of our hearts we may not believe them. We tell someone we believe them when they tell us that they caught a large fish. We tell someone they believe us when they said they had a day in Lake Jackson without mosquitoes. But in the Bible, it's more than that. To believe is not just this notion of what we know figuratively. It's trust. To trust is to rely on God to save you and to transform you. It's the ongoing work of God to never abandon you or me as his people. The beauty of Scripture is that Christ is always doing the work of saving our hearts are going to do things to condemn us every day, every second. Even for believing people in this room. And I'm assuming if you showed up this morning, uh, there is some connection to the notion or concept of Christianity that has brought you here. Our hearts do things to condemn us in every way, every moment, every second. And what Christ announces over believing people every day, every second, in the midst of what sin attempts to do to condemn you, Jesus declares that this one is mine every moment, every second, every day. For the believers in the room. But let's not mince words about this because when we look at the text, you see that there's a division that's made between believing and unbelieving people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, which leads us to believe, pardon the pun, that there are those who trust and those who don't. There are those who have relationship with God and those who don't. All the while, the work, the work of the word world in the passage is still saying that God is ever inviting you to know him. Let me be as clear as I possibly can be on this Christmas Eve. If you do not trust the Son, the one who God gave, who took sin upon himself on the cross who dealt with your pain became him if you do not trust the son you will perish because you were condemned from the start for the world to be condemned means this that there's nothing right there's no value in it sin has taken the life from the world. And the world in which we live is death upon death upon death. And even on our best days, it's just well-dressed death. But if you trust the Son, this Son who took on human flesh, who took on human pain, who took human death upon... If you trust the Son, you will have life because your condemnation has been condemned. In his birth, death has been shown the door. 
It no longer has power over us. Isaiah says it this way, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. So whether you are attempting to find God in one of the plethora of religions that our world offers, or you are attempting to find some type of eternal value in your place at work, or you're attempting to find value in how you are seen by your neighbor. If we are attempting to find our eternal value in anything other than the person of Jesus, that is death reminding you of death. Yet Jesus has invited us to life because this is how much God loved the world. That he gave his son, his one and only son, And the reason for this is so that no one would need to be condemned or destroyed. But by believing in him, anyone can have whole and everlasting, eternal life. That's the love of God. The love of God that doesn't give up. That doesn't turn its back on us. The love of God that is committed to you in more ways than you can understand the word committed. It's the covenant of God with the people who don't want to be in covenant with him because his love is that great, that deep, that strong. So we come together to celebrate Christmas on a morning like this. And I'm so glad that you're here. I'm going to light this candle in just a moment. We're going to consider that. But here's what I would invite you to. If you're in this space, and we're so glad that you guys are here. If you're a guest with us for the first time or you're here with us for the first time in a long time, we just want you to know we love you. And we believe that God loves you and has an affection for you. If you've never placed your trust in the person of Christ, when the scripture says that there are believers and unbelievers, if you've never trusted in Jesus, you are in the category of unbeliever. All the while, Jesus is inviting you to know him. He's inviting you to trust him. He's inviting you to place your faith in him. Because you will never find your hope in anyone other than him because he is God and there is no other but him. And he says, turn to me and be saved all of the earth she bow your heads with me this morning Jesus we thank you for the chance that we have to gather together this morning we thank you that your word is true and is good and God over all of these folks who have chosen to celebrate Christmas Eve with us Lord, I pray that you will save lost people because we we can't. We can't sing well enough. I can't speak well enough. Only you saved Jesus. But you loved us in this way that you would come, that you would take our sin upon yourself, that you would die in our place so that we could have life everlasting. So Father, would you do the work of saving people this morning? I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. If you would like to talk to me about what it means to have your faith, place your faith in Jesus, I'm there. If you're a believer in this space and you're just with us visiting with your family or friends today, but you have a relationship with Christ, we invite you to take communion with us as a church family. We, we invite you to take of the bread, to drink of the cup, to celebrate that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus have united us with believers beyond just one location. But every other person in the world who has faith in Christ, is we are in covenant relationship with them because we are in covenant relationship with God. So 
before you take that, I would just ask you to think through what it means that God would come and take your sin upon himself. Reflect on that. Consider it. If you're not a believer, I would just say, please refrain from taking of the, of the bread and the cup today. Because Jesus offers you more than that. He offers you a relationship with us. This is a reminder of the work that Christ has done for us. We should think through that. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Would you guys stand with us? As we sing, we would invite.